Welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Church. We're currently teaching through the Gospel of John. Covenant Grace Church is one church meeting in multiple locations. This message was recorded at our Menifee campus. So we are growing. Uh, we've got some... Uh, let me bring this down a little bit. We've got some stuff going on. We've got some new equipment. I hope you guys see the drums back there. I'll kind of give you a inside view to the back of the stage. Uh, So I have a two-year-old at home, and she's growing. And uh, as she goes through things, sometimes she falls, and then she gets back up. And this morning, we're going through some growing pains with technology. uh, But we're happy to have it. We're happy to go through those growing pains, because that means that we will have more available in the future. Um, As Chad mentioned, he's leading one of our Foundation of Discipleship groups. Uh, Marcelo is going to be sharing uh, announcements later in the service, but uh, we do have some sign-ups for that in the back and would love to see you guys get involved. Uh, Let me pray for us as we get started today. Lord, uh, I thank you that we're able to worship you. Uh, Father, that, that we can look at brothers and sisters who their testimony, their life is recorded in Scripture and that we can learn from it. Uh, Lord, I pray that as as we gather today and and we open up your word, uh, Lord, that you would guard my mouth, guard my mind. Uh, Lord, in the preparation that that I have done this week, I just pray that you would filter through it and that you would bring to light those things that would encourage my brothers and sisters, that would encourage myself. Uh, Lord, help us see you in a clearer way through the the, the study of your word through the life of Gideon, and uh, Lord, I just pray that you would bless this time with us and that we would see you clearly. We ask this in the name of your Son, by the power of your Spirit, and under the authority of God the Father. Amen. So today we're looking at the life of Gideon. Um, Gideon's known for one of two things generally. He's, he's either the guy who led 300 Israelites to defeat the army of Midian, Or you know him as the guy who would throw fleeces on the ground to check and make sure that God's commandments were accurate uh, or the instruction that he was given was accurate. Uh, Gideon is one of my favorite uh, people in the Bible. Uh, God used his testimony recorded in Judges 6, 7, and 8 to really change my heart in a powerful way. And it's, you know, as I was preparing this week, I was just thinking back to that time in my life and I was thinking the, the key to it was that as I read through 6, 7, and 8 and kind of got through it all, I started asking questions about who Gideon was because it's easy for us to forget that, you know, the people in the Bible were people like us. And and Gideon, you know, he was living his life. He was, in in the passage we are looking at today, he was making something to eat. He was preparing stuff. Uh, You know, Gideon had desires. Uh, Gideon had dreams uh, Gideon was part of a family, and, and all of the drama that comes from being part of a community, whether it's a family or a church family or a work, uh, you know, he had all of that going on. Uh, you know, we look at people in the Bible and we think, oh, you know, we, we see them in this idealized way, but we forget, like, they had failures and successes just like us, and Gideon's no different. Uh, Gideon was one of the judges. The judges were people that God had appointed over Israel to deliver them from bondage, uh, to deliver them from oppression, from the enemies uh, that Israel had in the promised land. And the book of Judges records the time between the book of Joshua and the book, uh, or the books of 1 Kings, 1 Chronicles, 2 Kings, 2 Chronicles. It's this time where the Israelites have 
come out of Egypt. You know, we got the book of Exodus. They come out of Egypt. They wander through the wilderness. They come into the promised land. In the book of Joshua, they go in and they take the promised land. And the book of Judges is the time period after that. So at the beginning of the book of Judges, Joshua dies. Um, It's a time when if we look at if we look in the book of Judges in verse 21, or I'm sorry, in chapter 21, verse 25, and in chapter 17, verse 6, the judge, Judges says that it was a time when every man did what was right in his own eyes. Before any of you libertarians get all like, woo, this is great, you know, limited government and maximum freedom and liberty, let's take a look at chapter 2, verses 16 through 19, and see how this worked out for the Israelites. In verse 16, uh, the book of Judges says, Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hand of those who plundered them. Yet they did not listen to their judges, for they whored after other gods and bowed down to them. They soon turned aside from the way in which their fathers had walked, who had obeyed the commandments of the Lord, and they did not do so. Whenever the Lord raised up, Sorry, I scrolled up too far. (laughs) Whenever the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge, and he saved them from the hand of their enemies all the days of that judge. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who afflicted and oppressed them. But whenever the judge died, they turned back and were more corrupt than their fathers, going after other gods, serving them and bowing down to them. They did not drop any of their practices or their stubborn ways. So this freedom that each man had led to rebelliousness against God. And that rebelliousness led to oppression. That oppression led them to cry out. And those cries stirred God to raise and judge, uh, to raise a judge and deliver them. Gideon was one of these judges who God raised up and used to deliver his people from the hands of its oppressors. And in this case, those oppressors were the Midianites. So Gideon's story is a story of God delivering his people, right? We we think back to that story. That, you know, he, he gathers up, uh, the, there's 32,000 warriors, 32,000 men come together. And God says, those 22,000 need to go home. And Gideon's like, okay. And then he says, okay, take these 10,000, do this. And, and, and he just starts winnowing them down to 300. And the, with that 300, they go and they battle uh, the Midianite army and, and kind of run them out of town. But I don't really want to look at the deliverance that God did, which is great. And and I would encourage you guys, go home, read 6, 7, and 8. I want to look at the vessel that God delivered people through. I want to look at Gideon and who he was because that's what made this massive impact in my life when I studied through it. And, and, you know, we're doing, uh, next week we're starting a relationship series and uh, Eric's going to be kind of taking us through a bunch of stuff. I think he talked about it a little bit last week. And this week was kind of this in-between phase. And I said, hey, I would love to share about Gideon. So here I am. Uh, who was Gideon? Let's look at the text. So who was Gideon? As we look at verses 11 through 27, uh, and we, we look at Gideon's responses and the way that Gideon acts, we can kind of draw some conclusions. So the first thing we see in verse 11, Gideon was the son of Joash, the Abizrite. Which, according to Gideon in verse 15, was the weakest clan in Manasseh. Not only was it the weakest clan, but Gideon says that he was the least in that clan. So it can be assumed that Gideon was maybe a youngest brother, um, that he had very little birthright, you know, very little authority in the clan, right? He was the least in the clan. However, at 
the end, in verse 27, I don't know if you guys remember, he gathered 10 of his servants, right? Not all of his servants, but 10 of them. So apparently, the least in the clan had at least 10 servants at his disposal that he could go do something that was not, you know, uh, politically correct at the time and caused some stirring. So, you know, we'll just kind of log that in our memory banks and, and remember Gideon's responses. Uh, he does seem to be a hard worker, uh, we meet Gideon as he's beating wheat. And, and the way that wheat works, you know, you've got kind of the stalk of the wheat, and then there's the, uh, the chaff or the grain, and then you, you take the stalks, you put them on, he would put them on this stone, you'd hit them with the mallet, and then that mallet would kind of break the stalks apart, or break the, the grain apart, and then you would take the stalks away and you throw it. Uh, beating it in the wine press as he was, it was a very difficult way to do it. This isn't the way that you would normally... Uh, thresh your wheat. Normally what you would do is at that time is you'd have a donkey or a horse and you would attach this kind of like stone cart or, or wood cart to it and somebody would stand on it and the donkey would go and ride over the field and that would break it up and then somebody would come along and they would grab you know like a pitchfork and they would grab it and they would toss it in the air and as they toss it in the air it breaks apart it drops to the ground. Well, Gideon was not doing it in that way because the Midianites were watching. And when the Midianites would see people harvesting, then they would come down and they would plunder what was going on. So Gideon is in hiding here. Uh, Gideon is, is hiding what he's doing so that the Midians, Midianites cannot see him so that he can hide this wheat from them and it won't be plundered. Uh, let's see. I, we had some really cool... Oh, we do have some pictures. I had a really cool video, but... It just didn't like it. So you can kind of see the way that it would work. And then we also have a picture of a wine press, just so you guys can kind of understand what this would look like. Uh, there's, you know, a, some stairs that would go down. You would mash the grapes up in the bottom. It would kind of run through. It was not necessarily ideal for threshing wheat, but it was really good for making wine. And it was also really good for hiding when you're kind of going through this stuff. The angel of the Lord appears to Gideon. He tells him that the Lord is with him. And Gideon's response is, please, sir, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonderful deeds that, are fa that our fathers recounted to us, saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. So the angel of the Lord comes to Gideon. He says, the Lord is with you. And Gideon says, no, he's not. Like, are you crazy? Look around. This is what happened. There seems to be this sense of hopelessness and defeat to Gideon. He's forced to hide. He's forced to kind of go through and, and do these things. And, and he just feels like his circumstances give evidence against what God is telling him. The angel of the Lord comes and says, I'm with you. He says, Lord, the evidence of my circumstances scream against that. And, and I just, I, I don't know if you know what you're talking about. This doubt leads Gideon to ask for signs, right? Despite the angel of the Lord telling him three times in the passage that the Lord was with him, that he would deliver his people from the hands of Midian through him, we see Gideon in verse 17 responding. He says, if now I have found favor in your eyes, right? So Gideon's kind of warming up to this. He's like, all right, if I've found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that's you who speak with me. Please do not depart from here until I come to you and bring out my present and set it before you. Um, he makes a sacrifice to the Lord, right? And not just like a sacrifice. He's not just like, oh, you know, here's, here's a couple bucks. Or, you know, here's a, here's a, uh, you know, a piece of fruit, you know, and enjoy, you know, do, do something with this. No, he goes home. He makes a whole meal. I mean, 
he, he cooks meat, he gets the goat, he does the broth, he makes some bread. I mean, this is not like, hey, wait here for a minute, I'll be right back. This is like, wait here for a couple of hours. So when he does return, right, uh, Gideon perceives that it's the angel of the Lord because the angel of the Lord uh, puts it on fire, he disappears, and, and Gideon's like, oh, whoa, I just realized what situation I'm in, right? He perceives this is the angel of the Lord. He says, oh, Lord, God, I've seen the angel of the Lord face to face. His concern is that he's going to die, right? He's like, I, I, I didn't realize that this is really what was going on. And the Lord says, uh, peace be to you. Do not fear. You shall not die. And then he worshiped, right? His response is worship. And as he worships the Lord uh, in verse 20, or I'm sorry, as he worships the Lord, he builds that altar uh, in verse 24, it says, Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, the Lord is peace. So he, he's, he's seen that God has made this peace with them. And this day it still stands at Oprah, which belongs to the Abizrites. Finally, in verse 27, the last little tidbit of, of looking at who Gideon is, we see in verse 27 that Gideon was fearful of his family and the men in his town, right? So, who is Gideon? We, we take all of this information, we have a picture of who Gideon is and, and what kind of drives him. Well, who Gideon is depends on who you ask. If you ask me, I see a man who's hiding from his enemies, trying to avoid conflict, very ready to complain about the situation he's in, he doubts God, is fearful of man, seems to have lost hope in his situation. He does seem to have a heart of belief in the Lord, but his relationship seems to be this... Uh, relationship based on fear and the circumstances that he's in. Is anybody, anybody kind of coming to the same conclusion or kind of seeing that as well? Am I crazy? God sees Gideon different, right? Look at verse 12. It says, the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. Like, this is really confusing to me. And, and as I read it, you know, over a decade ago, I was just like, like, I read through the rest, and you know, because you see that first, and the Lord addresses him as a mighty man of valor. And then you go through, and you're like, this guy's not valorous. Like, this guy's kind of whiny, and I mean, I'm sorry, like, Lord, to tell Gideon, I'm, I'm sure he's, well, I know he's valorous now, but, like, <laughs> he's, he just doesn't seem, like, valor isn't quite the word I would use. I mean, let it sink in, right? Because Gideon is hiding and questioning and testing and asking for signs, and the Lord meets him and says, you are a man of valor. It just seems like it's opposite. I mean, was God fooled? Was he mistaken? Like, what is going on here? And, and the conclusion that we would draw is that God sees Gideon not as he is at that moment, but as he will be. God sees Gideon as the work that he is bringing to fruition. God's work in Gideon's life is so certain that it outweighs where he's at at that moment. So when God says, Gideon, you are a man of valor, it is more true than what the circumstances would tell us at that moment. Because God's in the business of changing people. Like, think about other people, right? John, John, uh, James and John, the apostle John, right? What's John known, known as? Anybody? Disciple of love, right? Or disciple of Jesus' love. Disciple of love. Like, John is, he's just like tender and all this. John's the dude that said, Jesus, do you want to call fire down on that town? Like, they're not going to let us stay there. We'll just kill them all. Like, that's the guy, right? This is the disciple of love. That's a heart change. Peter. 
Peter, his original name, he's renamed, right? Jesus said, you're not going to go by that anymore. I'm going to name you Rock. Like literally named Peter Rock. Peter denied Christ three times. This is not like Rock. This is, this is not immovable. This is like, ooh, you know, squishy, squashy, like not Rock. Again, you know, Peter, I think you're okay. It's recorded. Everybody knows. Marcelo talked about it a couple weeks ago, I think, too, right? So. so look around this room. I mean, we look at each other. There are testimonies of God's changing work. Like, literally, look at the people around you. Like, God is changing us as we are sitting here, uh, as we live in him. You are in the process of being changed as a follower of Jesus Christ, and it has purpose, right? Sometimes we get distracted by the weaknesses and the, you know, maybe, maybe we're struggling with sin or we're struggling with a situation in life. We're struggling with some kind of character issue that, you know, we just whatever it would be, and we, we see these weaknesses in our life and we think, Lord, why am I in this situation? Well, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, look at verse 9. And Paul explains to the church in Corinth why God allowed weakness in his life. And, and Paul was very specifically talking about the, the thorn in his flesh, which we don't know exactly what that is. Some people think it his eyesight. Some people think it's like a limp. Some people think he was just really ugly. Um, really? <laughs> and so, you know, I'm just insulting everybody in the Bible today. It's just, eh. When I get up there, there's going to be a lot of explaining to do. Um, so verse 9, it says, But he, and Paul's talking about God, said to me, talking about himself, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. That's awesome, right? God's power is made perfect in your weakness. And Paul takes great joy in this. We read, keep reading in that verse. He says, Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me for the sake of Christ. Then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. What are your weaknesses? I mean, take a minute right now. I want you to think about your life. Do you struggle with doubt? Do you struggle with fear or anxiety? Maybe you struggle with self-control. Maybe you're judgmental or angry. Maybe you have racist tendencies. Do you struggle with stewardship? Do you find yourself lonely or sad, you know, struggling through depression? What if I told you that when God meets you and he calls you to himself, he says, Man of faith. He says, woman of peace. Right? He says, my steadfast follower. Filled with joy, filled with gentleness, faithfulness. Like, he doesn't see you in those weaknesses because he sees the completed work. Do you believe it? Because that's the critical thing, right? Like, we can hear this. If we don't believe it, it doesn't make any impact. And it's not just do you believe this, do you believe God? Because this isn't just me telling you this, like this is the word of God. If we believe that this is the message from God and you are, are, are living in life and being defeated by these things, you don't believe God. And we don't have any reason not to. And this is good news. Like this is, this is we were blind and now we see. Like there's no, like the temptation in times like this is to think, man, like I just blew it. And then we start coming down on ourselves because... 
we were coming down on ourselves, and it just becomes this cycle, and it's like, no, this is good news. Like, this is great. Maybe you're sitting here, and, and you're thinking like Gideon. You're, you're in circumstances that are out of your control, and you feel like, it's just hopeless. Well, take heart, because Gideon didn't believe God when he said it either, right? God said, the Lord is with you, and Gideon's like, whoa, eh, circumstances, right? Didn't change God's, it didn't change God's actions. He was like, Gideon. I'm with you, right? And, and, and that first part of verse 12 is critical, right? Because the almighty oh, man of valor, that's encouraging. But the critical part of that is the Lord is with you, almighty oh, man of valor. God's presence is what enables Gideon to become a man of valor. It's the means by which he has changed or is changed. Uh, God worked with Gideon through all of his doubts, all of his fears, all of his failings. When he doubts in verse 13 and verse 15, the Lord is firm but patient, reminding him, I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. God doesn't negotiate. He just sits and he tells him again, like, Gideon, listen to me. This is what the situation is. And he continues to encourage him. When he questions his authority in verse 17, the Lord is patient with him and waits while he prepares a whole meal, right? Again, this isn't just like, wait for 15 minutes. This is the president of the United States, whether you'd like him or not, just the office. You know, he comes over to your house and he's sitting there and he says, you know, I have a message for you. And you're like, I don't believe you're the president. And he says, I'm on the TV all the time. It's me. And you go, all right, well, if it's really you, hold on a second. I'm going to go make a phone call. And he goes and he's gone for four hours and the president just sits there. Like, that's insulting, right? And that's why he's concerned when he comes back. But God doesn't, you know, take his staff and burn Gideon up. No, he like burns the offering up and he's patient with him. God meets Gideon where he is time and time again with the means to strengthen him and form him into the man he's destined to become. So maybe you're sitting here and you're thinking to yourself, hey, God's never met me like that. He's never come and sat beneath a tree with me while I was doing yard work or, you know, in the kitchen with me while I was making a meal. Well, you're probably right. I mean, if he did, you would probably know. So I'm going to believe, if you say he hasn't, that he hasn't. But you have something that Gideon didn't, right? We have the testimony of what Christ has done for you on the cross. God met our greatest need by sending his son to die on the cross that while we were still at enmity with him, while we were still enemies with him, he came down, called us to himself as sons and daughters, right? Now, I know that some people, they, you know, you might come from broken homes and, and not have good relationship with your parents. When he calls you sons and daughters, it's, it's the perfect sons and daughters, the perfect father calling you in, Right? The cost of sin is death. And just as the Israelites would fall and worship in Judges, right? They went through this cycle. They would fall and they would worship things besides gods. They would worship the Baals, the false gods of the people around them. And we do this, guys. We worship entertainment. We worship comfort. We worship health. We worship family. We worship everything our culture tells us is God, right? Anything that our culture says, this is what you live for, that's God. We've rebelled against him and we've brought oppression upon ourselves from the same gods we have chosen to worship. But he didn't leave us in that situation just like he didn't leave the Israelites, right? He's heard our cries because we, if, if we 
find ourselves in a situation and we identify that there, you know, there's bondage. Like, I, I just don't know what to do here. He sent a true deliverer. He raised Gideon up as a deliverer, but Jesus was the true deliverer. And the deliverer, the deliverer that Jesus was was going to pay the ultimate price so that we could be redeemed. And if you believed he saved your soul, why do you not believe that he'll change your heart? Right? Discipleship, Eric talked about it last week. Discipleship is as we learn to believe, believe the resurrection, believe the gospel, and be changed by it, and, and to live for that. Romans 8.32 says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? If he died for us, why would he hold anything else back? So as we think about our weaknesses, we have to remember that. Like, God's died for us. Why would he leave us being impatient or uh, rude or, you know, uh, doubting? Like, why would he leave us in those situations? He's died for us. He's not going to just leave us where we're at. He's changing us. And, and knowing that he's changing us and knowing that those weaknesses are a place where he can display his glory helps us get through day to day and be part of that sanctification process, part of that process where, where we're continually changed to be like his son. God's given you more than that. It's not just that that we have that Gideon didn't, right? Uh, God's given us his son, but he's also sent the spirit to dwell inside of us and to counsel you just as the angel of the Lord counseled Gideon. Right? So we have that in our hearts. Not only that, we have the word of God. The word of God is there to renew our mind every day. And, and as we're in it, we, we just, you know, it, it comes up, it stirs. I mean, I was, I was sitting and, and thinking, you know, 10 years ago, Lord, what, do, what am I going to study? What am I going to go through? And I opened up the book of Judges, and I got, you know, eight chapters in, and then it was like, my life changed. So Jesus may not have come and sat beside you in the kitchen or in the yard, but he's written you a fairly lengthy letter. <laughs> That's the Bible, just in case anybody didn't catch that joke. <laughs> surrounded you with fellow believers, right? We have each other. Like, the Lord speaks through you. You, like, the Lord speaks through you. That's why it's so important with the community groups that we're starting. You need to be a part of them because this is how we grow together. You know, we, we just encourage you guys, be a part of that. And I, I know schedule's there, I know people are busy, but, man, I mean, I just don't want to get to heaven and say, Lord, I was so busy doing this that I couldn't plug in with the body. I was there on Sunday and, and I was fed, but I didn't get plugged in. And, and don't hear that as condemnation, guys. Like, I, really, like, we just want the best. And to me, man, every time we have community group at our house, it's like, Lord, oh, I wish I had a week off. And then it's like, oh, Lord, I was so glad that we did that. It's just this spiritual battle. Um, so Jesus may not have come. He, he wrote you a fairly lengthy letter. He surrounded you with fellow believers. Uh, he's given you the word to renew your heart. We have prayer in a different way, right? Because Peace has been made with God. We have an open communication uh, through, through prayer to the Father. So you might be sitting here and thinking, uh, I want to be changed. I know I need to change, but I just can't do it on my own. Like, I hear what you're saying, David, but I, I've been trying, and I, I just can't do it. And this sounds hopeful, but I'm just not sure about it, and I still have questions. I'd love to talk to you. Right? If you still have questions, if you, if you feel like, you know, like, I've, I've heard about Jesus, I feel like I know Christianity, but I just, I don't know what you're talking about. 
like, come up and talk to me. I, I would love to just sit down and, and just talk about who Jesus was, right? I mean, open the word and, and look at it. I want to close with three thoughts that have changed my heart. I want to tell you guys about my experience uh, with this passage. So it was, it was a little over 10 years ago. I was working at Calvary Chapel Marietta. I was teaching, and, and I was, you know, leading chapel. I was doing yearbook and newspaper. I mean, I was teaching eight classes in six blocks. I had, like, double classes. Like, it was just fruitful ministry, and it was a great time of my life. I loved the kids, and, and it was wonderful. And I had all of this time to invest in them because I was a single man, and, and I didn't have a family. And, and, you know, I could stay at the school until 4 or 5 o'clock, which sounds wonderful. It's a long time for a teacher. Um, <laughs> sorry, teachers. Uh, I'm letting the secret out. Uh, you know, four or five o'clock, you know, and the school's out at like 2.30, and I'm just meeting with kids and doing stuff like that. But I was a, young, I was a single man, and, and for me, a huge idol in my life was marriage. I, I wanted to be married. I wanted that companionship desperately, and I was really impatient. And I had gone through some stuff uh, previously which had kind of gutted out my bitterness towards God for that, but I still hadn't grown in patience. And I was really impatient, and that impatience would kind of draw me to frustration, and that frustration would just kind of make me useless. And I went through, and I read this passage, and as I, as I went through, and I, I saw, you know, Gideon, man of valor, and then you're like, yeah, and then he hides, and then he's crying, and then he's whining, and then he's, you know, the Lord says, Gideon, like, I came and met with you, I'm doing this, and Gideon's like, well, I know you said you want me to do this, but I'm going to throw a fleece out, and I want you to do a miracle. And then he's, I, I know you did the miracle yesterday, but I'm going to throw another fleece out and do another miracle, right? But not a good way to discern the, the will of God, just kind of throwing that out there in case anybody's throwing fleeces at home. <laughs> Gideon actually, like, apologizes to God, like, Lord, I'm really sorry I'm doing this. I know you should kill me for it. Like, so, so again, not a, not a good way to discern the will of God. But I'm looking at all this, and I'm like, Gideon is not a man of valor. And the Lord, you know, as I'm reading, I'm just kind of thinking, like, yeah, he is. Like, God is doing this. And I sat there, and I thought, what does God call me? And I thought, well, what, what is the thing that I'm weakest in? He, he comes up and he says, David, man of patience. I thought, man, that's like impossible. And yet, when I knew it, I think, well, God calls me that. It changed my life. Because the first thing I realized was that I'm not God, and God is not me. And I know that sounds really like obvious, right? So like, don't, like, like bear with me for a second, because I am not God. So my truth doesn't mean anything. God's truth means everything. My sister-in-law was over at the house yesterday, and she was getting really philosophical. She's like, if God said a lie, it would be true, because what he says becomes real. And I was like, Holly, like, you just, <laughs> like, I don't even know what you're saying right now. <laughs> like, he can't lie, because what he says becomes real. And I was like, oh, man, Holly. <laughs> he defines truth, and the way he sees me is vastly more important than the way I see myself. Because the way he sees me is true. When he says, you are redeemed, I'm redeemed. Like, it's done. The way he sees truth is true freedom also. Right? 
I mean, when he says, I'm redeemed, I can depend on it. I can know it. His, his power gives us freedom in that. So the second thing that I realized was, my weaknesses are not obstacles keeping me from fulfilling my purpose. Because my purpose is to bring God glory, to put his perfection on display. And it's through those weaknesses that he so often allows me to fulfill that purpose. And the problem is when we start living for a different purpose, right? I mean, when we're willing to go and die for the Lord, right? I mean, Thomas is always criticized. Man, that's another one. Thomas is always known as the doubter, right? Well, Thomas is like, well, let's go to Jerusalem and die with him. Like, that's not a doubter. Like, that's like, that's valor, right? Thomas and Gideon, it might be, you know, brother, family kind of thing. Maybe Thomas is from that tribe or something. The third thing that I realized is that it begins and ends with God, right? I mean, his presence is the means that allows me to change. His work in my life are, uh, are, uh, is allowing the circumstances for that change to happen. And his glory is the purpose of it. Like, it's all intertwined with him. And, it, you know, it doesn't matter what we're studying, what we're looking at, how, how we're going about life. When we get our eyes off of God, we're going in the wrong direction. Right? Whether we're at work and we're frustrated, whether we're at home and, and we're lonely, like, we need to get our eyes on God. You know, if we're at home and lonely, like, call somebody up from the church and, and minister to them. You know, loneliness, and, and I say this knowing this, or like knowing that this is true, loneliness can be the pit of self-centeredness. Because you want someone to come and acknowledge you. Brother, sister, God has acknowledged you. There's no reason to feel lonely. Go and share that with someone else who is lonely and doesn't have God. These three thoughts revealed to me that it wasn't just that God had the power to change me, it was that he's already changed me. And I'm just in the process of seeing it completed, right? We see Ephesians. It says, God has laid good works that we might walk through them. He's, he's set it up. Your failures, God's known about. And he's using them to refine you and teach you because you're his child. And he's called you that. If it was true in my life, it's true in yours. And I, just encourage, I hope that you guys are encouraged. I hope to, to just have that realization that, that the, the weaknesses, the, the struggles that we go through are the means by which God is perfecting his power through us. It really doesn't have anything to do with us. I mean, it has everything to do with us and nothing to do with us. It's just the, the paradox of God. Let me close this in prayer real quick. Lord, I, um, I am, I'm just so blessed by the testimony of your word and, and your hand, not just in Gideon's life, Lord, but by, in my brothers and sisters, Lord, just to see people, like, just, they're coming to my mind, and I don't want to call them out, but they, they're just amazing work of the Father here, Lord, and whether it be maturing or, or going through trials and or having health issues, or, or financial issues, Lord, to see your people struggling, but clinging to you and clinging to each other is an encouragement to me as, as I see your changing work. Lord, as people's hearts 
are changed and, and just drawn closer to you. And Lord, I pray that as we take a moment and, and we, we look at communion and, and we gather together, I just, just pray that, Lord, we would, we would just lay it all out in front of you. Lord, as Gideon is, like we, we have doubted and, and we've said, Lord, you don't know what you're talking about. Lord, even as believers, we, we do that. And Lord, I pray that we would be like Gideon, Lord. We would see that this is the angel of the Lord and that, that our insults, Lord, that our doubt is, is terrible and, and that, that we deserve death for it, and yet you give patience. And I pray as Gideon, Lord, that our heart would be to respond in worship, Lord, that we would, would build an altar, Lord, just to, to worship you now and, and to remember that you are a God of peace and that you've not only made peace with us, but that you have changed who we are. Lord, we love you. We thank you for the spirit that indwells us and, Lord, for the son that you sent as a sacrifice for us, Lord, and, and for, for you just bringing this plan together and drawing us in, making peace on our behalf. Lord, we love you and we praise your name. Amen. You've been listening to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Church, Menifee. If you would like to know more about the Menifee campus, visit us online at covgrace.org slash Menifee.